Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. Joined here with my co-host Wheeler today. We have not a ton of content coming at y'all. This has kind of been um, just kind of a a pretty slow week, but we do have some interesting storylines that we just wanted to talk about real quick. First of all, uh, Auburn's All-Pro, All-American front court have both declared for the NBA draft in Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Auburn has landed a commitment from five-star center Johan Traor, and just a couple more just uh, little nuggets to talk about with the roster. But either, first of all, just can you, from right now, give us your perspective on Jabari Smith declaring for the draft? Obviously, we all knew it was coming. Kind of give us just both what you – when you look back on his time at Auburn, what will you see? How does he rank of – like favorite Auburn basketball players in your mind and how do you think he shapes up as you know compared to some of the other Auburn greats in both talent accomplishments just kind of walk us through where Jabari sits in your mind as Auburn royalty and how do you think his pro career will pan out Uh, I think he will have the best or second best pro career of any Auburn player behind Barkley uh and kind of going off of that, I mean, nobody is ever going to – no one's ever going to have a college career like Charles Barkley. Like, it's just never going to happen anywhere in the country because anybody that is as dominant as he was when he was in college will not be in college for three years. Like, the game has just changed to the point that no one will ever beat him. And so all you can hope for is to have a one-off season with a guy. And that's basically what you got out of Jabari Smith. I mean – you take a team that's projected to be fifth in the fifth in the SEC, and they go on and win an SEC regular season title. Total overachievement. Um, and honestly, there weren't a ton of guys that overachieved on the roster, I feel like, other than Jabari and Walker. And so, yeah, I mean, the guy carried us to a SEC regular season championship. He gave Auburn credence by giving us a McDonald's All-American. Um, and I mean, I'm not disappointed in anything in his career. I think that he, he exceeded my expectations. I think Auburn fans might look back on regret over him, not getting some of the final shots in games that we ended up losing. Uh, but in the grand scheme of everything, those games didn't matter one bit. None of the losses that Jabari didn't take the final shot in matter at all anymore because they were regular season games. We were the number one seed in the SEC tournament, and we wouldn't have been a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, even if we had won two more games. And we, if we lost in the first round to Missouri, um, you know, that's just not going to happen. Like, it doesn't matter. If you lose in the first round of the SEC tournament, it doesn't matter how good or how bad the team was that you lost to. Like, you're not going to be a number one seed. So it doesn't matter that a team goes on a run, you know, later in the tournament. Texas A&M, not Missouri. Sorry. Forgot my new money SEC teams. Um, Yeah. I mean, so he gets the championship regular season. And, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for him. I thought it was funny uh, that he went to Bruce's office to ask if he should declare for the NBA draft. And Bruce said in his press conference today that he just looked at him and laughed and that Jabari started kind of laughing back with him. And it was just kind of, I think that that encapsulates, though, what I liked about Jabari and why what Jabari's real impact on the team was, was 
having the breakfast club, having the hard work and being the best guy on the team, but still being a super hard worker to push everybody else. And that's what I hope you get out of Johan. Um, I don't know if he's going to have that exact same work ethic because, I mean, from what I've heard, Jabari's work ethic is pretty legendary. Um, and it's going to serve him well when he gets to the NBA. I think he's going to have a long career. And of the Auburn players that are in the NBA right now, he's going to be the best, you know, by a pretty solid margin day one when he walks in. So, yeah, good for Jabari. Hey, same for Walker. He has a first-round grade right now, even if it's late first round. I mean, he won Defensive Player of the Year nationally. Yeah, he could improve his shot, but why would you risk not having as good of a defensive year or hurting your shoulder again or blowing your knee out or getting exposed in a second year and dropping? Like, if you're a first-round grade uh, and that wasn't kind of in your cards at any point and you just kind of lucked out with the season, go chase that bag. Um, I'm not disappointed. I'm not. I mean, I guess I'm sad that he won't be on the team, but it's good for Auburn, too, when guys go to the NBA that are – so you got two guys going to the NBA in the first round. One of them's a transfer. One of them's a freshman. So it shows that Bruce can do it either way. Like, you can come to Auburn as a transfer, be developed, and become a first-round NBA player, or you can come out of high school. So they're both wins for Auburn in the long run. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not concerned about the basketball team being able to – make a get some players this year like we're probably going to pick somebody up in the tr transfer portal um just depending but i think uh, everybody i don't think anybody else will transfer out of auburn um as we had talked about potentially happening bruce talked about Jalen williams being kind of the star of the show this year again so i don't think he's going to leave i think that Bruce is genuine in that. He also talked about Dylan Cardwell being a serious NBA prospect. I wouldn't be surprised after hearing that uh, if Johan doesn't necessarily start at the five and they try and run a really big lineup again. Um, I mean, you could run a massive lineup, honestly. Put Allen at the two, Jalen at the three, Johan at the four, Dylan at the five. Um, that'd be... That'd be some trees, but honestly, I mean, Jalen and Allen can both handle the ball for those positions. Uh, from what I've seen, Johan can handle the ball enough to be a four, especially if he gets his jump shot going a little bit or his three-point shot going. And then you got two guys that can make post moves and then throw whoever you want at the point guard. So it'll be interesting. I think we're going to be able to throw a lot of really weird lineups at people that they're going to have tough times matching up with. And that'll be fun. Yeah, I agree. And I think it is interesting to talk about Dylan because while he is never, you never look at him and you're like, okay, this is, you know, the best player on the floor or one of the best players on the floor. But if you look at the growth that he did from year one to year two, I mean, it, I mean, he was a different player this season than he was this freshman season. And he did that while never really receiving starter minutes either year. You know, like he was not he was not in a starter role at all. And he still, you know, made the made all the developments that you typically see from guys. And it's a lot easier for a guy like Walker Kessler to go from, you know, his increased production can be explained by getting better in practice. But also when you're a starting center, you're going to be better than when you weren't a starting center. And so that's something that, you know, an aspect that I think that we haven't really talked about, Dylan. And if he does kind of work to be a starter, I think that his development will increase even more than what we've already seen, which is already a, you know, a good development because of the increased minutes and the increased role in the team. But something that I thought was really interesting, uh, Bruce Pearl said in his press conference today, he said, I couldn't look Jared Harper and Bryce Brown in the eye and tell them that they could get to the NBA and win championships. But all those guys over the last five years have been able to stay home, compete for championships and play professionally. And I think that's a big thing that it's like, you know, to build on what you said, he can say, okay, I can turn a guy that's been in the program for a few years. I can put him in the NBA, you know, like Jared Harper, you know, yeah, he's got a two-way, but he, he has played in the NBA and he is, you know, prove he is on a prove it deal, but he's in the NBA. You've got Chumo Kiki's in the NBA, two years in the program, one year, you know, kind of had to work in next year, becomes a star, gets drafted in the first round. He's in the NBA. You've got guys like Isaac Okoro, 
uh, Jabari Smith and, you know, Walker, you know, the first year in the program, they're coming in with freshmen or transfers. So he has really proven that he can take any type of player and put them in the NBA. So I think that's definitely going to be helpful. And a lot of the guys, you know, you look at, you know, pretty much all the guys that we put in the NBA are off of Georgia. I mean, if you can recruit that Atlanta area, you're going to be fine for years to come. So the future of the basketball program is definitely in a good spot. And I think that that's just something, just another added benefit to the player's legacy. You know, with a guy like Jabari Smith, it's like, we're going to look back on him. And yes, we're going to always remember that we lost in the round of 32. But you're never going to forget if he's the first Auburn player ever to be drafted first overall. Like, that's going to be something that sticks with you. You're always going to remember watching him play and how he was unguardable, how he was so fun to watch. So those are the things that it's going to be interesting to remember. And he will be this generation's Charles Barkley, you know, a guy that you can watch, you know, hopefully if his career pans out how it's on track to, a guy that you can watch night in and night out in the NBA dominate against NBA players and, you know, make all-star games, win MVP, you know, stuff like that where you can really see a guy from Auburn that you watched in college really dominate at the next level. So I think that'll be a really fun, just kind of a, an aspect of Auburn basketball that Auburn fans have not had since the 90s. So I think that'll be really interesting. Um, I also agree with you with the, the Jalen Williams situation. I definitely think that he has the potential to be the star of this next year's team, but I do think it'll be interesting. I think the most intriguing, uh, I, I, I'll say position battle, is definitely the Dylan Cardwell and Johan kind of situation because with how Bruce talked about Dylan today, he was super high on him, and it, it's an interesting thing because – they're they're a similar style, but at the same time, they're really not. You know, Johan really likes to, you know, post moves, put the ball on the floor, do his own thing. Whereas Dylan is much more of how Auburn bigs have been in years past, where he's very dependent on, you know, alley-oops, pick and roll, that kind of stuff. And is much more of he gets his points within the flow of the offense instead of him being the offense, where you just feed it to him and he he does his thing. So either how do you think? the different styles do you think it'll be similar to 2020 when Auburn kind of had almost two offenses rolling depending on the five that was playing or do you think that both players will kind of just be flipped into playing the same system regardless of the personnel of the floor I I don't know because I think the struggle is is you don't know who your shooters are like in 2020 you had defined shooters like, you knew that you had guards that could go out there and consistently knock down shots. And if Alan Flanagan doesn't get more consistent, like, if you don't have Jabari and you don't have the pick and roll to Walker, which I know, you know, Johan has post moves and so does Dylan. But, I, I mean, post moves are not a super common thing that score in college basketball today. Um, so... I mean, I guess Baycott was doing it in the NCAA tournament, but it's it's tough to come in as a true freshman and do that to people. So, I don't know. I think it's really going to depend on how consistent the shooters are because if the shooters are bad, it's going to be like LSU basketball this year. LSU basketball this year is what Auburn will be next year if we can't get some consistent shooting, where the defense is going to be locked down, the effort's going to be there, but the offense is going to absolutely kill you. So I think more than anybody, LSU is kind of my comparison, more so than the 2020 Auburn team. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I, I think that it's going to, you know, we talked before this season started about how we will be seeing a different brand of Auburn basketball than we have in years past. And that was very true, but it was a little different than what we kind of envisioned. So I'm very interested to see how this team uh, will come up as how they play, if they will kind of revert back to how previous teams were, like 18 or 19, where you just throw up a lot of threes and hope some of them fall, or if it'll kind of go more to the 2020, 2021, where it's a little bit more big dependent, or when it's like this year where it's like, okay, the front court is the offense. So I'm, I'm interested to see how Bruce really adapts to his personnel. Um, but you mentioned, you know, you mentioned a little bit with the transfer portal, Eric Stevenson, who was, you know, an Auburn target committed to West Virginia this week. 
So it, it really doesn't seem like Auburn is going super hard in the portal. It seems like we are definitely being more selective than we were last. You know, last year we were reaching out to a ton of guys, and it was almost like we were throwing a lot of things and hoping that some of them stuck. And obviously some of them did. But, you know, we landed a ton of transfers. But it seems like this year we're much more selective in the process. You know, you're, you've reached out to Brandon Murray. You've reached out to um, Mark Steers from Ohio. Um, but what do you think is the prototype of a player that Auburn needs to land in the portal at any position? But, like, just looking at our roster, what is one player that if you could, you know, make a player to put into this offense to really change it, how do you think you would make a player to make this team more lethal in 2022? Well, first of all, I don't think that we're going to try and take a player from a school that, Unless the school fired their coach or we're going down a division, I don't think we take somebody. Um, that's just my preference after hearing Bruce in his press conference today, basically. He was talking about how he doesn't love the transfer portal for people that could eventually play but are just running. And he said that's most of the people in the transfer portal. He said, I like it for like when coaches get fired because that's messed up. Like, that the coach can just go away and the guy that you said you wanted to play for is gone and you just got to play for this new guy. But it seems to me like Bruce is also starting to recognize that as he's bringing in these five stars from high school, that the move is not going to be to bring in five stars from high school and transfers. Because if you bring in a bunch of transfers, you're, you have no culture continuity. And if you're bringing in high school five stars, then you have no cultural like continuity because they're going to go to the NBA. So I think he's going to try and if you get somebody, he's going to get somebody with, again, preferably size a little bit because I think he wants to play a bigger lineup. I think he's realized that a lot of teams in college basketball have shifted to this small ball, uh, run and gun, hit the three game. And that even if they're hitting their threes, if you're big enough, you can disrupt the three ball enough to stay competitive in a game. I mean, obviously, there are like the one-off games where Alabama like hit a record number of threes where it's going to be tough to keep up. But they still, I mean, Auburn still won that game. And that's Bruce's model is the, he's, t I think, trying to get away from that small ball because his whole motto, it seems like to me, has always been do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. So when everybody was playing huge ball, he was going and getting undersized guards that could shoot to try and switch it up. Now that everybody's getting undersized guards that can shoot, he either has like Wendell who's super undersized and nobody believes in, or he's like, all right, I'm going to go get a defender. Like that's what I'm looking for in a guard. So I think size defense and then shooting is what he's looking for. Um, because we don't, the reason we brought in so many transfers last year is we lost so many people off the roster. Like, mm -hmm. we don't really lose anybody off the roster this year. You're losing four guys, but you're losing three guys that had productive minutes. One of them, I mean, it's like we said last time, Devin Cambridge has plenty of people on the roster who are replacing his minutes. Johan comes in to replace uh, Jabari, and then I guess you have Dylan stepping up in Walker's place. So, Really, we might look at bringing in another four or five. I don't know, because that's the thing. We have so many flexible pieces. We have so many, like, pointer guys who can be massive twos and threes, like Alan Flanagan, or they can go move up to a bigger position. So I think you look for guys that fit your culture and who can knock down some shots. Yeah, I, def I think that if we can if, – if our high school – kind of if the high school recruiting is not the the next guy that we're going to land obviously a lot of people have been asking about julian phillips and auburn does have a chance with him but it's just it's going to be very tough uh it's going to be very tough to land a guy like that but you know I, I definitely think that auburn will look towards the front court and i mean really you've got i mean you really only have three guys there right now that are true like these guys are, you know, front court players. And another, a guy that interests me is KJ Evans. He's a five star in the 2023 class. Uh, he's considering reclassifying, 
recently dropped his top five that had Auburn 6'9", 200 pounds, you know, a natural four. This could be a guy that the staff is really kind of possibly looking at to replace, you know, kind of come in and replace Jabari and be that that other guy at the four beside Jalen Williams. But I definitely think that Auburn will need to have somebody who is a natural four or a five come in and play that position and have kind of those four guys to play the four and the five, one deep and two deep. So I definitely think that'll be a position to watch closely, but really, you know, we we've reached out to a couple guards and forwards, but you're just like, if we don't land any, you're not really, you know, you're not really wondering, you know, like you're just kind of like, okay, like we'll be fine if we don't land any of those guys, because you have plenty of guys that are here that can win you games in SEC play. So I definitely think it's much, it's a lot more. You got to look at fit and you have to look at, can this guy do more than what we have right now? Like, can this guy do more for us than KD Johnson's going to do? Can this guy do more for us than Chris Moore's going to do? And I think it's a very selective process with this transfer cycle along with high school. So I definitely think that it's kind of just, it's a waiting game where you just have to sit and you have to watch and you have to wait and see what this staff is going to do and what magic they're going to pull. But the one thing is that you definitely feel comfortable in the fact of these guys have proven they have a proven track record of assembling a roster and you know they're going to do it again and they'll be successful in that. I agree. Um, But kind of moving on to, should we move on to football or should we move on to Auburn's hottest sport right now? Or were the request of one of our fans? I th- I definitely think, you know, th- this is something, the, the baseball content is something that has not been talked about a ton. But for those who, I feel like baseball is a weird one because there are some people that are really big into baseball, some people that are casual, and some people that just couldn't care less. But uh, in the, the waning kind of off-season podcast, base, when the baseball is the only sport, it'll probably be the focus of this podcast. Uh, and in times like right now where there's not a ton of basketball, there's not a ton of football content, but baseball, you know, has a midweek game, is right in the thick of their conference series, I think it should bode a little bit of discussion. So for those that don't know, Auburn started conference play with a loss in a series to Ole Miss, who was ranked number one in the country at the time. Uh, they lost that series two to one. Then they go on a pretty strong uh, next weekend, they beat Texas A&M on the road, the series two to one, and then lose a midweek game to Jacksonville State, which was just kind of a head scratcher. Then they travel to Baton Rouge and take down number 12 LSU in a two to one win on the series. And yesterday they just took down UAB on the road. And this weekend they come back home to take on number 12 Vanderbilt in a home series. And this, you know, the baseball team has definitely kind of overcome a little bit of the expectation with how the team was last year. Um, couldn't finish games and lost a lot of talent from that team. But I would say the baseball team has been a pleasant surprise as of right now, sitting at 20-9 and nine and 5-4 and four in the conference right now. I think that this series against Vanderbilt will really kind of set, really set the tone for how this season can go. You know, like, is, is this a team that, is this an Auburn team that can really stay at or slightly above 500 in conference play, which is very good in an extremely talented SEC? Or is this a team that's going to be similar to last season that is going to be able to hang in some games but just won't be able to finish? But we either just kind of give us your just your slight overview of how the team is right now and how they have kind of overcome the expectations that you had coming into the season. Yeah, I hope that the uh, offense continues to play like it is because that's the reason we're winning right now. And the the struggle with that is that offense typically in baseball does not continue throughout the season. Um, So that's where I'm kind of withholding my judgment. I mean, they've already exceeded expectation, in my opinion, because they at least had some a big series win. Uh, But like you said, while the bats are hot right now is the time to try and get some a little bit of cushion for a little bit later in the season when maybe you're no, you're not hitting quite as well because the defense has given up a lot of runs, um, a lot of errors. Pitching has been very, very inconsistent. Um, but yeah, when you're scoring runs, it really doesn't matter. 
And I mean, even last night, Auburn's pitching was not great. I mean, to be playing a UAB team that you beat 16 to one earlier in the season, um, and then to go up there and to give up several home runs was, uh, it wasn't great, but it was a win. And, uh, I'm excited about this weekend against Vanderbilt. I think we can definitely steal this series. Um, would love a sweep, but you know, you got to pretty much stay. The rule of thumb for baseball is if you go two and one in your home series and one and two on your road series, then that's a successful season. So they've already got a one game, what two game cushion kind of on that. Uh, so even a series loss here doesn't set you back that bad, but a series win here would definitely put us in really good contention for sure. And I definitely think that the, the thing that I've, liked the most about this team is really the emergence of Blake Burkhalter as a consistent closer on the weekends. That was really what Auburn liked last season was that they just could not close games. And it was if you looked at Auburn baseball going into the seventh inning, seventh to eighth inning, it was really good last season. And, you know, if the game, if we only played seven inning games, Auburn would have had a great record last year. But the issue was it would crumble at the end of the games because they couldn't close. And the bullpen isn't necessarily more talented than it was uh, last season, but it's just – I feel like it's constructed a little bit better in the sense that it's built more to win two and lose one. And if you lose – you know, it's like you, you're going to – you're not just giving one away, but you're going to have one game where if you win in any series, it's like, okay, we stole that one. And it's just going to be because your bats were really hot. But – the way that Auburn is built is that the bats are going to have to be consistently good throughout the season for us to win games. And so far, I mean, like you said, I mean, you look at in conference play. So the first game score six runs against Ole Miss second game score 19 third game score two scoring six runs is decent. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty solid for, you know, a conference game, but the issue is when you give up 13, you know, it's a little tough. But obviously, 19 runs against the number one team in the country is great. And so, you know, the bats were good against Ole Miss. Bats were really good against South Alabama. Granted, the pitching was horrible. So it, you know, it was a 13 to 12 game in the midweek, which was a nail biter. But I definitely think a win is a win is definitely a motto that will be adopted by Auburn in this baseball season. But I mean, against Texas AM, six runs in the first game, four in the second, and 13 in the third. I mean, that's an LSU. You had six, two, and six. I mean, if you can consistently score six or more runs in two games on a weekend, like that, you're going to live with that. And obviously, it's not going to be easy for the guys to keep hitting like that. But so far, like, you know, that they have to slow down eventually. And it was kind of like looking at Sonny Deshara in non-conference play. You're watching him and you're like, well, he's got to slow down eventually. Like, he's not going to be hitting. Like, he's not going to be hitting 475 all season. But at the same time, conference plays come, and he's stayed at the same level. He's hitting bombs. So you just kind of look at it, and you're like, obviously they'll slow down a little bit, but I don't think they're going to slow down as much as we really envisioned toward the beginning of the season. So like we said, this weekend series against Vanderbilt is big and could really, I think, with kind of – it's kind of a transitional period for Auburn baseball because – you look at some of the top dogs in the SEC and how they treat baseball and how they treat, you know, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Tennessee. They treat baseball, you know, with reverence. And Auburn really doesn't. I mean, Plainsman Park is nice, but it's not, you know, it's not next level. You've got operation atmosphere that Butch is trying to get going in the outfield. It's, it's fine, but going to an Auburn baseball game and going to a Mississippi State baseball game is just not the same. It's, it's a similar feel to going to a Vanderbilt football game and going to an Auburn football game. It's just not the same because if you don't have sustained success, it's hard to get your fans super involved. Now, Auburn fans have proven that if, you, if they see success, they'll show up. I mean, you look at gymnastics. Gymnastics sold out like four meets this season. Like, that, they're pumping 10,000 people in Auburn Arena. Like, they had more people at gymnastics meets than basketball games for conference games. I mean, we didn't sell out every conference game. So, I mean, there were people, there were gymnastics meets that sold out more than basketball in a year where we were ranked number one in the country. And it's because gymnastics was good this year. So, Auburn fans have proven that if baseball can be exciting and you can, 
go into every Sunday, you know, every third game of the series competitive, like people are going to come, you're going to sell out games. It's going to make the environment better. And when the fans come up and the wins start piling up, then more money goes to baseball and it can really make Auburn closer to on par with some of the top dogs in the SEC. So I definitely think that this season Butch needs to be successful and if you can make it successful and make it fun to go to baseball games, it'll be really, and I, I enjoy going to baseball games, but I'm there to watch baseball, you know, like Auburn baseball right now is not the kind of thing where you're just going to go and sit there nine innings for three games on a weekend, just because you want to be there. Like if you're the kind of person that's going to go to 27 innings in a weekend, it's probably because you really like Auburn baseball and you're going to sit there and watch it for the baseball. And if you were the only person there, you'd still be there because you're there to watch the game. And that's just not what Auburn is right now. You know, Auburn is not a place where people just stay the whole game, no matter what the score is. So I think that this season, if Butch can keep some of the wins going and have a respectable finish with this roster and the roster can get can improve in the next couple of years, the young guys get more experience, then it can really make Auburn baseball closer to the same level of fan interaction that football, basketball, and gymnastics are enjoying right now. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how the rest of the season plays out, um, and we'll just kind of we'll kind of see where it goes. I agree. All right. Now, Noble, did we have the discussion on the podcast or just, you know, in real life, where I said – Robbie Ashford might be a really good option solely because it doesn't look like any of the quarterbacks can throw, and at least he can run. Do you remember that conversation? I remember that conversation. I'm not entirely sure where it was, but I remember that we had that conversation, yes. Well, reports came out today that Brian Harson agrees that right now none of the quarterbacks can throw so we might as well have one that can run. It's sounding more and more like we're going to have an offense that looks like the Army-Navy game than one that looks like, well, any other college football team in the country. Because right now, the only person that I've heard that's done well is Tank Bigsby and the legs of Robbie Ashford. They had tight ends talking today to the media. You know what they talked about? How much they love to block. How much they love the physicality of blocking. Welcome to 2005, where Auburn is going to have some mean, mean mugs on defense and a putrid, and I mean putrid offense, with an exceptional running back and a serviceable quarterback to win between seven and eight games and go to what has traditionally been the Outback Bowl. Outback, unfortunately, did not sell enough rubber steaks, and they will no longer be sponsoring the free Bloomin' Onion on January 3rd. Rest in peace, blokes. Noble, you're very high on this football team. I am so glad that you are, but I do not hear anything encouraging coming out of fall camp but and here's why if we had a good offensive line like one that i was like okay this could be a middle of the road sec west offensive line i would say okay this is okay we can win eight to nine games with this this offensive line has had the same thing where they couldn't run the football for three years same guys nobs how are you still feeling good now that robbie is taking first-team reps. Okay, I, I think that the most important thing to look at when you're thinking about this spring is that Robbie Ashford is not going to start the season. Like, game one, if everyone is healthy, Robbie Ashford is not starting. The starter will be Zach Calzada, who I think can do what Brandon Cox did. I think he can be Brandon Cox. He has proven, I mean, he proved last year at Texas A&M, he can be a meh, a serviceable quarterback in the SEC West. So can Robbie. I disagree. I just I just disagree. I don't think that I, I just I might be a hater. I just don't have a lot of faith in Robbie who really couldn't see the field at 
a average Oregon quarterback room that our starter last year is not able to start in. So here's my question, Noble. If not for an absolute just I mean, I've never seen you go through so many quarterbacks like AM did. Zach Calzada does not sniff the field. So if Zach Calzada had not played last year for Texas AM because the first two quarterbacks hadn't gotten hurt, why like seriously, if they had not gotten hurt and he was competing against Robbie right now, you wouldn't think that Zach was going to be the guy. No, probably not. But the thing is, we've seen like I haven't seen Robbie Ashford in a game environment. So my comparison when I'm thinking about him is, well, he didn't play at Oregon, and there must be a reason that he didn't play at Oregon. Zach Calzada, it's like, well, yeah, there was probably a reason that he was the third-string quarterback at Texas A&M. But you're also like, I don't really care what that reason was because I saw him play at Texas A&M, and I saw what he did. So it's it's more like I, I don't really care why he was not the starter at the beginning of the season because I've seen his talent and I've seen what he can do. So I, I don't I don't know if that really worries me that much because I think that Zach Calzada is a good enough quarterback. And like you said, in 2005, I mean, it wasn't like we were relying on Brandon Cox to win a ton of games. I mean, that offense ran straight through Kenny Irons, and we just got lucky that he was an extremely talented running back, and he was able to, you know, I mean, he was able to win games for us. But, I mean, you look at – I mean, Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter have the potential to be a similar, you know, kind of two-headed monster backfield that Kenny Irons and Brad Lester were. So – I think that Auburn's just going to be a very run-heavy team. So, yeah, I think we can win nine games like we did in 05, but I think that nine games is close to the ceiling. That is both my prediction, but I also think it's the ceiling because I think that the defense will be good enough. I think the defense and the running game are talented enough to keep us in – keep us competitive in ten games this season. And I think that talent-wise, we should win seven. And the Here's other my- two are toss up. Here's my thing. I was as low as you could possibly get on Robbie Ashford when he came in. Solely because when I Googled his name, his baseball highlights came up. I'm smoking the crack on this guy now. I am high on the Ashford. Noble, you said that Oregon was a below-average football team last year. I said below-average QB play. I... Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Their quarterback threw for 3,000 yards last year and 18 touchdowns. That's pretty good on seven interceptions. I'd take that. Also, uh, four of his interceptions were against uh, Utah, who they played twice. So Oregon last year went 10 and four. They lost the bowl game, so that doesn't even count. So they were 10-3, and three, and two of the losses came to Utah the two times they played them. Which you, have to, consi- you have to consider, though, that Utah to Oregon, like Auburn plays three Utahs a season. Like Utah was a really good football team last season, but Utah is Alabama, is Georgia, is Texas A&M. So playing the schedule in the Pac-12 and playing the SEC schedule is not the same, and if he struggled against – the top dog that was on par and would have come fourth in the SEC last season. That's what concerns me a little bit. All I'm saying is the guy's improved. He's focused. He's having fun. Oh, gosh. No, boy, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let the guy play. Let him play. Let him go out there. Let's run the read option. Let's do this thing. It's going to throw a massive wrench in the plans, though, if Robbie is the quarterback, solely because they keep talking about a pro-style offense, but there is nothing about, like, you cannot, there is one position group that you can look at that would be successful in a pro-style offense, and that position group is running back. Every other position group. And tight ends, I'd say. I'd say tight ends are good enough to be good in a pro-style offense. But imagine running a spread offense. You can still utilize the tight end in the spread offense. Utah does it perfectly. Yeah. Like, we did. Oh. Uh, uh. 
I hope we don't waste the legs of Robbie Ashford. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. He is. He has the potential to be great. He's going to go out in a day. He's going to have a 20-yard run because Harson's going to try and get the fans excited. He's going to tell the refs, hey, give him a little bit of slack on one of these things that would have been a sack. Or they're going to have a fake play where he rolls out and has a 20-yard gain. Just wait. Noble, you're you're literally like bunching your fingers up on your face. Right now, the alternative is former third-string quarterback Zach Calzoni or Statue Man. Oh, I'm just I, saying. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to debate you on the fact that Auburn's quarterback room is exceptional. I'm not trying to debate you on that this group is even average. Even if you said below average, I would say that that's a generous comparison. But the thing is, spring football does not excite me. In the, it excites me in the sense that it is football and it is Auburn football, and I like that. But I just really don't look into spring football a ton and be like, oh, I hear this guy is balling out in spring. I think he's going to be great. Because remember, in 2019, Joey Gatewood looked like Cam Newton 2.0 in spring. And everyone thought he'd be the quarterback in spring. And then he shows up in fall, and it looks like he forgot how to play football. And we all know what happened with Joey Gatewood. And so I just don't know if I get super excited. If I can get from the point where, you know, you're disappointed that Robbie Ashford's baseball highlights show up to the point that you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a stud. He's going to revolutionize Auburn football again in the span of a spring where he has not been live a single time and his passing has not been good. And the only reason that he's really getting first-team reps is because one of the quarterbacks who was the presumed guy who would start is hurt, and the guy he's fighting for is T.J. Finley, who has been grossly inconsistent his whole career. So I just don't know if Robbie Ashford really excites me. Now, if Robbie Ashford runs out there and takes the first snap in an Auburn uniform, I'll be 100% behind the guy, and I'll be you know ready to defend him to an, to an extent, to a degree. But I just don't know if he, in a game-time situation, will be better than Zach Calzada or better than T.J. Finley, honestly. I'm not convinced of that as of right now. I'm not, but we'll see. I can't wait for a day. I will be watching the replay. And let's hope, let's hope that I, mean, I would love for, I mean, Robbie Ash, the way he plays, if you can have a dual threat quarterback, it's fun. Like it's more fun to have Lamar Jackson than to have Tom Brady. It just is like, if you're going to win the game, either way, you want to win the game with your quarterback, having highlight plays, jumping over people, spinning around, being super athletic as opposed to someone just standing in the pocket and throwing a nice ball. But I just don't think – I just don't know if Robbie Ashford is the guy. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he is because he's dynamic, and I think that he could be an exciting player. I just don't know. And I don't know if I'll be on the Robbie Ashford train until I see him do something against real football teams where they are trying to tackle him and he's not wearing an orange jersey and not allowed to get hit. Nick Marshall. He's just like Nick Marshall. A, a difference, though, Nick Marshall did get hit. Like, when they had the quarterback competition, they went live with the quarterbacks because they were like, this is close. Let's see what they do in a game-time atmosphere. Robbie and Ashford, I think that his they strength might do is that. Well, and I hope they do because the thing is, it'll make – I mean, it'll make Carson's job easier if one of these guys gets hurt because then it's like, okay, well, they're all bad. I mean, that's the thing. Like, none of these guys are good quarterbacks. They are all average at best. If one of them gets hurt, it'll thin the hurt a little bit and be like, okay, now there's only two guys to choose from instead of three. And I think I, mean, I think it'd be a good decision to go live just so you can see how they would react in a real football environment. And I really think that it benefits Robbie Ashford the most because – his strength is his legs, his weakness is his passing. When he's not allowed to get touched or get tackled, he's not allowed to showcase how athletic he is. He's not allowed to showcase how strong he is because he's not allowed to get hit. So I would not be opposed to going live 
you don't have to do it in a day, but I would not be opposed to going live in their scrimmages or when fall camp rolls around going live and seeing which quarterback really has what it takes to be the guy. Well, it's going to be a fun time, Noble. I'm ready for the journey to six and seven. See, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this team pans out, but just so everyone on the podcast can hear, Wheeler's prediction as of April 6th is that Robbie Ashford will be an absolute stud. He will make Auburn a spread offense, and he is going to be a really fun, dynamic quarterback, and he will start. And we will go six and seven. I would be shocked if, A, the prediction is still six and seven a month before the season, because I already know that a week before the season, Wheeler will be predicting the playoffs. But we will see and we will take notes, make a mental note of Wheeler's prediction as of April 6th, and we'll see where he is really after A-Day, because I really think this prediction is going to be vastly different a week from today on our next podcast. So That's what they call a hot take, Noble. Hot <laughs> takes can always be taken back. You can always pull out a fire extinguisher on a hot take. Hey, that's a very good analogy, and we will see. I, I, I expect to see a fire extinguisher this time next week. But speaking of next week, uh, Auburn has their A-Day game on Saturday, April 9th. So next week's podcast will be very football-focused. We'll briefly talk – you know, we'll talk about baseball series uh, and all that, all that happens against Vanderbilt. But the focus will be A-Day, kind of breaking down what we see um, and just kind of fun storylines and, you know, Kind of build. This is a an opportunity. I think we talked about this a lot during the whole Brian Harson saga, to see if Brian, you know, Brian Harson has done a great job so far of doing what we said he needed to do, being more personable, and all that good stuff. But we'll be able to see when he's at a day in front of the fans again if he really does anything to kind of spark some excitement. You know, Gus a lot of the time like to pull out a trick play during a day to get some razzle dazzle, get some excitement going. And we'll see if Brian Harson kind of follows that line or what he does to bring excitement to the 8A game. But we'll be talking about all of that next week uh, on next week's podcast. All right. Well, it'll be a great time. Can't wait to see what all happens. Can't wait to see TJ standing like a statue out there. Can't wait to see uh, Robbie out there as a gunslinger. Uh, and let's see, who else will be out there tossing the pigskin? We'll see a little bit of I know his hold. name is Calzada for all the haters. I'm just I'm just having fun. You know, it's April 6th. Uh I I had a good prediction on the NCAA tournament, even though it was sad. So I'm feeling, you know, pessimistic like high. Noble. I spent the I hung out with Noble last night. We went, caught the baseball game. I caught the realism. I caught the hate. And uh yeah, I'm just sitting here. Uh, soaking in it. Hey, if you have stuck around this long, Noble and I saw the craziest thing happen last night. I'm not going to disclose which McDonald's we were at to protect the innocent, but so we ordered on the app, and yeah, it did take an hour and a half. Um, so while we so were, waiting, if anyone if anyone has ever used the McDonald's app to order their food. Because I, I don't do that. I don't, I don't order food through apps. I go through the drive-thru. I go into the restaurant because I think that that's the most effective way. I don't like trusting technology and all that. Wheeler likes to be a trailblazer and do all the new stuff and be the guy that's one step ahead of the rest of the world. So he sits down and he's like, oh, we're going through the app because it takes five minutes. So Wheeler, I'll let you continue this story. But just know that Wheeler's mind space in this story is that the app is a straight gift from God and that we will be in and out within five minutes because he used the app and he's smarter than everyone in the drive-thru. I was every other time except for last night. So I sit there, I order on the app, I order Noble's food, I order my sister, uh, she wanted a milkshake, and, you know, I go ahead and order it for her, knowing that the ice cream machine is 99% broken because it's 10 p.m., and that just means the ice cream machine is broken automatically, like <laughs> clock. Oh, it's dark outside. <laughs> Sorry, our ice cream machine solar power. It only works during the daytime. <laughs> no, you know. So we're sitting there, hanging out hour and a half, and I had my 
McDonald's little complaint form pulled up, but I hadn't filled out the complaint yet because I wanted to see how it ended. So if, you know, redeeming grace in case there was great customer service at the end. And this man has, so there was, there was a gentleman uh, that was sitting outside of the McDonald's smoking some weed and another guy that kept beating on the door to try and get his food. The lady wouldn't, wouldn't bring it to him. So he goes back to his car with a crowbar and he busts open the door with a crowbar and just walks into the McDonald's, gets his food and leaves. I have never seen anything more wild in my life. We couldn't decide if we should call 911 or follow him in because we were hungry. We ended up just going through the drive through and she said, oh, I never got that order. Let me uh, let me fix it for you now. Didn't ask what it was and comes back with our exact order, <laughs> including the exact sauces that we had ordered. And I was like, oh, you never got it. Got gotcha. Gotcha. And yes, the uh, the ice cream machine was broken. And uh, no, we did not get a refund for that ice cream. So if you ever stole anything from McDonald's, it all evens out in the wash because I paid for whatever you stole. And now somebody is paying to fix that door. So. Yeah. And if, if you were, you know, and if, you know, on the off chance that the person that broke into McDonald's at around 11 o'clock last night to get your food with your crowbar, if you're listening to this podcast, we kind of paid for the food that you took. So, I mean, you know, enjoy your life. But if you're listening to this and you've never seen someone break into a McDonald's with a crowbar, which I imagine you haven't. And if you have, please, please let us know, because I'd love to compare stories. But I mean. Yeah, it's it's an it's an experience. It's something that I never thought I would experience. And I'm very glad I did, because I think that this is going to be something that I'll never be able to look at a McDonald's the same or a crowbar the same. Agreed. So any McDonald's stories. Also, you're a real one if you've stuck around this long. But we will be back next week to recap a day. And that's all for this episode. War Eagle. War Eagle.